0: Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.
1: What's good, everybody? I'm Dion Rabowin for The Wall Street Journal, and this is WSJ's Take on the Week, the show where we break down the most important things to watch in business and financial news. We cut through the noise to get you ready for what matters. Both the housing market and the market for initial public offerings were ice cold in 2023, but analysts who watch both spaces are expecting a thaw in 2024, provided the stock market continues the bullish momentum from last year and mortgage rates continue to fall. Mortgage rates inched up, rising for the second week in a row, and the stock market finished a volatile week just a bit higher. So there could be some uncertainty creeping in. We'll be talking to Spencer Raskoff, an entrepreneur and venture capital investor, best known as the co-founder of Zillow. This week, investors are expecting to see China's fourth-quarter GDP report, the U.S. retail sales report, and the Federal Reserve's deep dive into the economy, the Beige Book. But some of the biggest headlines of the week could come from the World Economic Forum, which kicks off in Davos, Switzerland, on Monday. The global conference attracts some of the world's top business leaders, academics, and policymakers. So what keeps them coming back, despite some of the very negative publicity that has surrounded the event in recent years? Critics have lampooned it as a playground for the global elite that costs taxpayers billions and yields little intangible returns. WSJ Deputy Editor-in-Chief Charles Farrell will join us to talk about why the forum still matters to the global economy and to the Wall Street Journal. But first, let's talk about the markets. Public markets for assets like stocks, bonds, and crypto get most of the attention. But private markets play a significant role in the economy. According to the latest report from accounting firm EY, an estimated $22.6 trillion of capital is invested in private markets. But the typical payout for investors in private markets is for private companies to become public. That typically happens through an initial public offering, and the IPO pipeline has slowed down in a big way over the last two years. IPOs in 2022 raised the lowest amount of money on record, according to Renaissance Capital, which has been tracking the data for more than 30 years. The market picked up from that record low last year, but IPOs were still well below the 10-year average. The housing market also slowed last year at a historic pace— We don't have the data for December yet, but through November, sales of existing homes in the U.S. were on pace to hit the lowest level since 2008. That was right in the heart of the mortgage meltdown and the global financial crisis. With the stock market off to a rocky start this year, and with crucial data out this week on new residential construction, I wanted to check in on both markets to see what investors should be expecting in 2024. So joining me on the show this week is Spencer Raskoff. Spencer is an entrepreneur and a venture capital investor who has co-founded some of the most well-known companies in the U.S. In addition to real estate marketplace Zillow, which has a market cap of around $13 billion, Spencer also helped launch online travel company Hotwire.com, which was sold for nearly $700 million in 2003. And his venture capital firm, 75 & Sunny, was an early investor in multi-billion dollar companies like data analytics firm Palantir and online brokerage provider Robinhood. What's he seeing in the markets right now? The market for private companies, public companies, and real estate. Spencer joins me now to talk about all of that. All right, Spencer, given where the housing market is right now, given just all the things and the information that we have available to us, and also just the state of the economy and housing prices and all that, do you feel like someone could start a company like Zillow today?
2: Well, there's plenty of interest in real estate. So that's the good news is if you were starting a digital real estate business today, there's no shortage of consumers that would be interested in that information. I think the challenge with starting something today is what a mature category it is. People already have their user preferences. Some people like Zillow, some people like Redfin, some people like Realtor.com, some people use Google or, or, or several of them. And search engine optimization, which is to say doing a good job of showing up high in the Google search results, is... Um, it's very, very difficult to crack in today. I think the opportunity comes when there are platform shifts. So one of the reasons that Zillow became Zillow is because just a year or two after we launched, usage shifted from desktop to mobile. And that created a whole new set of, of winners where Zillow was really able to zoom past realtor.com, which was the early leader on the web. And Zillow became the leader on mobile. And it's possible that there's some new platform shift in front of us. Maybe it's a shift to virtual reality. Maybe it's a shift to some new AI-enabled hardware device. I don't know. Um, And that will create an opportunity for new players to emerge. Platform shifts always do.
1: I mean, if you say AI in your name or in the description of your company, people are going to (laughs) throw money at you. So
2: I I think actually 2024 is going to be a bit of a shakeout in that way, though. A lot of the companies that raised money on AI hype in 2023 are going to turn out to just be very thin wrappers on top of a chat GPT or some other large language model or LLM as they're known. The tide is going to go out a little bit and we're going to see we're really going to see who's creating companies and who's creating features. There's Mm. a big difference between a feature and a company. Yeah. And you feel like that's going to happen this year. I do. I do. It's already starting to happen a little bit at the very early stage for AI companies. There are plenty of AI companies that are not fundable today that maybe would have been six or 12 months ago. I'll give you a quick example. Because of my experience in real estate, I've been pitched by many AI startups trying to create listing description products for real estate agents using AI. So the idea would be a real estate agent would go to a website, enter a couple prompts about a house, maybe enter the address and the product would create a listing description, which the agent could then publish on the MLS to help sell the house. That is a feature, not a company. And that feature is already baked into the large language models. A real estate agent can already go to ChatGPT or any of the other LLMs and just enter, I'm a real estate agent, give me a listing description, here's how I quickly would describe the house, and it'll produce a great listing description. So that's an example of a company that probably could have gotten funded, and several of them did, a year ago and it will not get funded in 2024. They're going to hit a wall.
1: Interesting. So that actually takes me into a question I wanted to ask you, because as a venture capitalist, you invest in companies uh, through 75 and Sunny. It's your company. But how are you looking at companies differently than you were maybe two or three
2: years ago? 75 and Sunny Ventures is my family office venture firm, and we've invested in almost 100 companies. I am looking at things very differently in 2024 than a year or two ago. And the reason for that is the bar has been raised. So if you think of almost like an assembly line where at the very beginning of the assembly line, there's pre-seed and then seed stage and then series A, B, C, those are the stages of of when startups raise money. And then at the end, there's the IPO stage and then publicly traded companies. The IPO window has basically been closed for a year or two. Mm. And what happens in startups is that backs everything up, moving upstream from it. As a result, it's a lot harder to get a Series C round done or a Series B round or moving further upstream harder to get a pre-seed or seed round done. In other words, the stakes have been raised. It's a harder environment for startups to raise money. And the reason for that is because of the increase in interest rates. When money was free, when the government was allowing people to borrow money at basically 0%, uh, everybody's risk tolerance was a lot higher because investors, venture capitalists or angel investors were able to get cheap access to capital and then turn around and give it to startups. Those days are over. In a In a world of 3%, 5 7% interest rates, um, the bar is raised and it's a lot harder to raise capital. As a result, I'm being more discerning in the startups that I'm investing in. I'm looking for companies that are closer to profitability. I'm looking for companies that have competitive advantage, have moat, have very, very strong teams, things that I'm, I'm more confident in and I'm less willing to take a flyer than a year or two ago.
1: How is 2024 and maybe the back half of 23 different than it was a few years ago or maybe even going back a little more than that?
2: The big difference is that this is a better time to start a company than a couple of years ago because big tech is in a malaise. So a couple of years ago when you could go get a six figure job or maybe even a seven figure job at google or microsoft or meta or any of these companies that's very different than it is today today most of those companies are retrenching retreating they're either doing layoffs or they're um, they're not growing or they have hiring freezes and so it's a very different job environment meaning that if you start a company today it's quite a bit easier to recruit mm. you know you can go convince that engineer to take a huge pay cut to come to your startup that was a very difficult thing to do just a year or two ago. So that is a is a much better macro environment. Now, the other side of it, it's the worst macro environment for fundraising. So you have to have a lot of fortitude and persistence. But um, I think now is a great time to take the plunge. And if you look back over 25 years of tech, we've had plenty of cycles through 2000, 2001 was a downturn through 2008 was a downturn. We're in the midst of a downturn right now in every sector except AI. And A lot of incredible companies are built during those downturns, including Zillow, which was built during the 2008 downturn.
1: That was part one of our exclusive interview with Spencer Raskoff, Zillow co-founder and general partner at investment firm 75 and Sunny. In part two, we'll get Spencer's outlook on the current state of the housing market and whether he thinks home prices are going to come down in 2024. Stick with us.
0: When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.
1: We are back. I'm talking with Spencer Raskoff, entrepreneur and investor. He co-founded online real estate marketplace Zillow and currently leads second home property broker Picasso. I want to talk to you about the housing market because that's obviously something you've got a lot of expertise on. The last existing home sales report we got, National Association of Realtors chief economist Lawrence Yoon said that he's expecting, quote, a marked turn in the housing market now that mortgage rates are starting to fall. So as we look to the new residential construction data that's coming out this week, what are you thinking
2: about the housing market? 2023 was characterized by basically a frozen market. Sellers didn't list because they had mortgage rate lock-in, meaning that they had very low mortgage rates. And so even though they were perhaps no longer in the home that was right for them, they couldn't handle the trade from a 2% mortgage that they got a couple of years ago to a 6% mortgage if they were to buy something new today so everyone sort of sat on their hands and um we did i think it was around 4 million um existing home sales something like that which was down i think around 15% year over year and the lowest in more than 10 years that is starting to thaw and it's it's starting to thaw for a couple of reasons first of all sellers or homeowners are sort of capitulating they're saying look you know i dealt with being in the wrong home for a year or two or three my kids are sharing a room or I've changed jobs and now my commute is too long because my house is in the wrong place. Or, you know, in my case, my kids changed schools and now my house is in the wrong place. So people can tolerate that for some period of time. But at some point, they say, you know what? Life is short. This is silly. Like, I need to switch to the house that's right for me. The second thing that's happening is people are starting to adjust to higher mortgage rates. There was initial sticker shock Mm -hmm. when you have five years of, of two or 3% mortgage rates or lower. And then all of a sudden you see seven, eight, 9%, you say, whoa, hold on. <laughs> but they've been high now for long enough and they're starting to come down. We've already peaked from eight and a half percent. Now we're down in the sevens. Most economists think we'll be in the kind of you know mid-60s by the end of the year. So they've already peaked and they're on their way down and that's going to cause buyers to enter the market.
1: Home sales were weak last year. I think you called it a freeze and a lot of real estate agents and folks in that industry would agree with that. But home prices continued to rise. I mean, what's your take on the cost of home ownership today?
2: Yeah, the reason that home prices continued to rise is because of limited inventory. So what few homes were listed, they sold at high prices because there was just so little inventory. The two ways to break that logjam are for sellers to choose to list and for new construction to occur. And we just haven't had a lot of new construction, or not nearly enough new construction. And we're finally having new multifamily unit construction. CBRE says there are about a million units of apartments that are under construction now, most of which will come online in 2024. So we're finally getting some new supply on the rental side, and that will help alleviate rental prices. On the um, existing home side, though, there's just not enough new supply coming on because it's become so expensive to build.
1: The National Association of Realtors is forecasting pretty small price increases this year. Do you think that folks who are looking to
2: buy a home are going to get some relief? I think they're forecasting something like 3 to 5% year-over-year home price increase this year, which is, I believe, among the lowest that they've seen in the last couple of years. So that's welcome news for home buyers. They're not forecasting home price declines, it declines in home values, but at least the rate of appreciation is not going to be as significant as it has been.
1: That was entrepreneur, venture capital investor, and Zillow co-founder, Spencer Raskoff. He is the general partner and CEO at 75 & Sunny Ventures. Up next, why you should care about this week's gathering of the global elite in the small Swiss town of Davos.
0: Apollo is working to ensure a bright, bold future, financing solutions to some of the most complex challenges the world is facing. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.
1: One more thing before we get out of here. I want to talk about Davos. The World Economic Forum kicks off this week, and the Wall Street Journal is sending a team to cover the event. You know, I think my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail, so I'll be here in New York all week. But Wall Street Journal Deputy Editor-in-Chief Charles Farrell will be front and center, attending the annual confab for the seventh time. I asked him what the big question on his mind was as he heads to the Swiss Alps.
3: I think there are a couple of categories of big questions. One, I think we're all very, very interested in how to understand the economy right now, especially in the U.S. and in parts of Europe also. It seems better than it should be. And And the economy economy and understanding why that is and what's going on, um, I think is interesting and helpful and useful. I think there will be tons and tons and tons of discussions about AI, um, probably some of them, many of them, tedious. uh, And the, but I do think there is something there. It is clearly something that is animating a lot of business conversations and discussions now, so I want to learn more about that.
1: Artificial intelligence drove much of the exuberance in the stock market last year, as companies like Microsoft and NVIDIA, that are leading providers of AI technologies, lifted the market. It's also likely to be one of the most important features of the next decade, maybe even the next century. The group of seven advanced economies, which includes the U.S., Japan, and countries in the European Union, issued a non-binding code of conduct on AI. But governments have so far been slow to institute real regulations. The World Economic Forum is billed as a place where the private sector can come together to do things that governments can't. The forum has received plenty of criticism in recent years for things like the public cost of security, lack of financial transparency, and the environmental footprint of the meetings. William Burke White, professor at the University of Pennsylvania's law school, wrote in 2020 for the Brookings Institution that Davos is, quote, a gathering not of the 1%, but of the 0.00001% and called it an elitist gathering of the super rich. Burke White also went on to write that quote, since governments seem unwilling or unable to address the challenges we face without corporate leadership, power and wealth must be united to drive the changes on which our collective
3: future depends. There will be lots of delegations from governments, usually lots of presidents and prime ministers, people in the US government, people in the UK government. Um, There'll be a pretty sizable delegation from China. Then you'll have the full run of businesses, I don't know the statistics, but probably most of the big Fortune 100 companies are there in some way. You'll have lots of professors and thinkers about economic topics.
1: When it comes to AI, companies are clearly taking the lead. And what happens at Davos this year could set the tone for AI's development and what, if any, restrictions are placed on its growth moving forward. Global political leaders, CEOs, activists, and developers will all be in Davos making decisions about what comes next. That will matter to the stock market and also maybe to the future of humanity. And that's everything you need to know to take on the week for Sunday, January 14th. This episode was produced by Charlotte Gartenberg. Jonathan Sanders is our booking producer. We had additional help this week from Jess Jupiter. Michael Laval, and Jessica Fenton are our sound designers. Michael also wrote our theme music. Melanie Roy is our supervising producer. Aisha Al-Muslim is our development producer. Scott Saloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the head of news audio for The Wall Street Journal. For even more, head to WSJ.com. I'm Dion Roboan.
0: Stay smart. When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com.